Open your Bibles to uh, Acts chapter 28. We'll finish up the book of Acts tonight. I, I really am sorry that this is over, this series. I, I've really uh, just felt the word of the Lord was important for our congregation. Matt Betts says that I should keep preaching Acts until I'm, until I'm over, until it's done. Uh, and he's probably right, but don't tell him because we all have to live with him um, if, if he knows he's right. Uh, he's right. Uh, Acts chapter 28 is, is the final chapter, and we will, uh, we, we will close with it tonight, the series Life on Mission. But uh, let me take you back to the verse that was important this morning. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Um, I like to hear you talk. Uh, th- this morning was in some ways a hard word. I-, I probably don't say enough about how proud I am of this church, and, and I need to say that. Uh, the morning that we had sending out Sam Malanga and, and Judith, that's amazing. That was a gospel goodbye, and, uh, and it's a blessing, and it's the kind of thing that a lot of churches never, ever get to experience, and we got to experience that. But you know, in the course of this series, Life on Mission, how many of those have we had? Have you been paying attention? We sent out Aaron and Jordan Talley uh, to, to be worship leaders at Calvary Baptist Church. We sent out Tristan Norris, all of this during the Acts series. Sent out Tristan Norris to be the youth pastor at Glendale Baptist Church. Uh, Josh and Katie Graves, I guess, are the next ones who go. Where'd they go? They, they, they go? Yeah. Man, y'all never sit on the red next side. What are y'all doing? Uh, you're practicing your mission. You're, you're missing. You're redneck missionaries tonight. Yeah, God bless you guys. This morning when I talked about the need for people who will take farming and agricultural skills uh, around the world, y'all know this is what Josh and Katie do. Katie's already done two years as a journeyman in China, and what she did was go out into rural China and teach them how to build greenhouses. And, and to raise food. I, I mean, they're doing exactly what we talked about this morning. And it's thrilling, absolutely thrilling to be a part of a church that sends out Kelly and, uh, and Trisha Lawrence. Uh, to, it, it's just absolutely thrilling to send out Frank and Carol Jarbo every single weekend. We, we are a sending church, but we need to do more. That, that's supposed to be normal. Uh, I mentioned briefly this morning uh, a man named J.D. Greer who's recently written a book uh, about what he calls sending capacity. Now, if you follow the YouVersion live event, I put a link on the live event this morning which will allow you to download a copy of this book for free. Uh, So so there you go. Uh, You you can download this book for free if you go to the live event, and you can still do that tonight even. Um, J.D. Greer says that a church's success should not be measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. What's he saying? Well, what is the point that he's making? What is the difference between seating capacity and sending capacity? Yeah. Oh, Jack, that's so good. Uh, You can download Jack Wright's book next. That was awesome, Jack. Uh, If we're not careful, uh, if we're not careful, our goal becomes to build the church as opposed to build the kingdom. And and remember that Jesus' great commission was for us not to stay, but to go, to go into all the world. And as you read through the book of Acts, you not see how in, in some ways the Holy Spirit, even in the early church, has to plant a stick of dynamite under these people to get them to go. If it weren't for the persecution, if it weren't for extreme unction of the Holy Spirit, the, the church at Jerusalem might have just stayed right there. It really does take an incredible power from the Spirit just to blow us out of our comfort so that we will go and take the gospel to the nations. 
So truly, and I believe this is profoundly true, that the measure of a church should not be how many people attend, what is its seating capacity, but what is its sending capacity. We need to be sending one another out all the time. This morning when I said that the Holy Spirit could call some of us, one or two of our families, to move to Seattle and help plant this church, that just makes sense to me. It makes gospel sense. We need more gospel goodbyes in, 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 in this church. Acts chapter 20, verse 22, Paul says, I'm now bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Here's a verse. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Will you underline that verse? Would you memorize that verse? Would you somehow work that verse into the every single cell of your body until it becomes true? My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. This was Paul's frame of mind. This is how he thought, and this is how the Spirit led him. Now, if you read through, and most of us have in the past week, if you read all the way through the book of Acts, you'll get to the end. What is sort of Paul's goal? What is the place where he really wants to land? In this morning's passage, he's going to Jerusalem, although everybody tells him, don't go, don't go. Now, why is it that they're warning him not to go? Because they've been shown in the spirit that, that jail and suffering await Paul. So the spirit shows them what's going to happen, but it's not the spirit who, 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 who leads them then to forbid him to go. You understand? The spirit is leading Paul to go. The spirit is giving them this knowledge that, that Paul's going to face suffering. But the spirit's not, not trying to tell Paul through them that, that he shouldn't go. You understand? The spirit isn't contradicting itself there. So the, the, the church knows that it's going to cause persecution and, and jail. And understand, Paul continues to go. But it's not so much getting to, to Jerusalem that is Paul's ultimate aim. Where does he want to go? He wants to go to Rome. Why Rome? Yeah, it's the center of the world. At that time, the Roman Empire was the world. It was the most powerful city, the most powerful man in the entire world, the Roman emperor. And so Paul wants to go straight to Rome and preach the gospel there. That, that is his aim. Yeah. So he does a really kind of strange thing. And, and again, you read this in the book of Acts. If you haven't already, you're behind. Read the book of Acts so that we can move on together. But understand, once Paul is, is arrested, just like the Spirit has said, he's beaten, he's jailed. And then at, at one particular moment, Paul does a really interesting thing. What does he do? You remember? He just sort of puts it out there that he happens to be a Roman citizen. How does that change everything? Because Roman citizens have rights that non-citizens don't have. 
And Paul could have brought this up sooner, but he didn't. They beat him a couple of times. I mean, he he was absolutely never concerned with what was going to happen to him. He was always concerned with what was going to happen with the gospel. So at just the right moment, he, he, he lets it out that he's a Roman citizen, which means they can't beat him like this. They can't do him like this. Instead, what happens now is that he is now guarded by Roman soldiers and, and, and taken in custody straight to Rome, where he has a right to appeal all the way up to Caesar. So that's Paul's goal. This dude is smart. You understand? Gospel smart. So this is where we pick up. If you've read the story, he gets shipwrecked. He gets snake bit. I mean, it's just the most unbelievable story. And now he's under guard. I'm going to pick up in about verse 15. Acts chapter 28, verse 15. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming and they came to meet us at the forum on the Apian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns and When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders and he said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted and so I could explain to you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. See how quickly, man, he's preaching now. He just woo right into preaching. Verse 21, they replied, this is kind of surprising, we have had no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who's come here. But we want to hear what you believe for the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning until evening. Y'all thought I could preach forever. This dude could preach forever. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all freedom and without hindrance. No one tried to stop him, the New Living Translation says. Okay, he's being led by the Spirit. And he's been, by this point, beaten with rods and stoned, uh, shipwrecked, snake bit. And, and now he's in Roman custody. 
If he's doing God's will, why do all these horrible things happen to him? God said it wouldn't be easy. But if it's God's will we're doing, Brother Don, why can't it just be easy? I mean, we got the power of God. we got the Holy Spirit. We're, we're doing good in the world. We're doing exactly what God wants done. Why doesn't he just clear all the obstacles out of the way so that we can have it easy? It's win-win if we get to have it easy, right? Wow. It, it gives a different kind of credibility to the message if those who proclaim it are proclaiming it at the cost of their own lives, at, at the expense of their own suffering. It's very different when Paul is stoned, gets up. Remember when he was stoned, they thought he was dead, but then he just pops up. And where does he go next? Right back into town where they stoned him to, to, to finish the sermon. It's different. Yeah, Brother John. Absolutely. Jesus suffered, and if we follow after him, we will suffer as well. You've read the book of Luke, and we did that at Easter together. I walked us through Easter through the gospel of Luke. And now we've read the book of Acts. Remember, they're both written by Luke. And one of the things that's striking to me is when we get to this section of Paul, Paul's deliberate refusal to turn back from Jerusalem, even though he knows he's going to suffer there, it's a lot like Jesus. And you can tell that Luke is intentionally building this parallel between Jesus' suffering and, and Paul's suffering. Luke has intentionally baked that into the story so that you're able to see uh, Paul's imitation of Christ. Flip over to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, one of the letters that Paul writes when he's in Roman custody, when he's in jail, this is the kind of stuff he does uh, even though he's in chains. Read what he says. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has been horrible. It's just been horrible, y'all. This chain is it's, it's chafing my ankle. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in jail. I got, a, I got a Roman soldier chained to me day and night, and he did. Understand? A, a, a soldier, a big, ugly man chained to him day and night. I want you to know that everything that has happened to me was not what I expected at all, y'all. I mean, I was going to be a missionary. I was going to, you know, visit churches and show my slides, and I've been in jail now for two years. No. I want you to know that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard. Okay, this is the funny part. The whole palace guard. Now, when did he ever get to speak to the whole palace guard? Well, he didn't, except that he gets them one at a time. Now, see how this works? Remember, he's chained to a Roman soldier day and night. Well, they come in ships. Understand? So by this point, two years later, he has preached to those soldiers one-on-one, -on -one, day and night. Do you get that? you understand that? Paul is so crazy for the gospel. He thinks, I've hit the lottery. You know, all I have to do is sit right here, and they bring me a fresh one. Every, I mean, they do. <laughs> Remember, he is in chains for preaching the gospel, and this is how it turns out. They just keep bringing him somebody new. And they say, what are you in for? And he says, I am so glad you asked. <laughs> 
He's preaching the gospel day and night. Everything that's happened to me, he says, has helped to spread the good news. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He's in chains, you all. He's in chains. Back up just a little bit. When he's on his way to Rome, look at verse 15. Brothers and sisters in Rome and heard we were coming. The Christians know that Paul's on his way, so they rush out. They go out to meet him. Even before he makes it to the city, That they go out so that they can meet him. These are folks that Paul's probably, most of them he's never, ever met face to face, but, but, but they know him. Uh, others joined us at the three taverns. I was just saying, and then some of them you know, showed up at Hot Plate. And when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you were so starved for Christian fellowship? So starved, uh, needing brothers and sisters around you desperately. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life? Can, Can you tell me a story? Can you tell me when we have that kind of incredible need for one another? Yeah, what would you say, Brenda? Yeah. Yeah, when you were battling cancer, you were housebound in a, couldn't be at church, but the church just kept coming to your house. People would come and, and visit you and pray with you and let you know that you were part of the family still. Yeah. In those moments when we can't be with the church family, we, we miss and we crave the company, the fellowship of the church family. Well, when else? Let me ask you this. What do you think it meant for Paul at this moment? Did I mention he'd been shipwrecked and snake bit? What do you think it meant for him to suddenly be in the company of brothers and sisters who just rushed out just to be there to encourage him, to be there for him? What must that be like? I, I think that when we really begin to live lives on mission, that's when, first of all, we become completely dependent upon the spirit of the, of the Lord Jesus. We, we will need him like we've never needed him before. But when you're living a life of nothing special, when you're really not living life on mission, you don't need the Lord because you're not doing anything that would require his help. You understand? Now, I know that you still need him in ways you don't know, but you understand what I'm saying. You're not trying. You're not attempting anything that would require power outside of yourself. So you live this itty-bitty life out of your own strength, thinking that you're really accomplishing something when you're not. But when you really begin to live your life on mission, stepping out in in the ways that the Spirit leads, you're going to need the Spirit. And and, and suddenly you're going to be very, very serious about your relationship to the Lord. You're going to need Him like you've never known that you needed Him before. And the same is true with, with your Christian brothers and sisters. When you live a life on mission, when you truly leave this place and go out with the gospel into the world, which is where Jesus takes us, We long to get back together and and recharge. This is what the church is supposed to be for. Not just a place to come to, but a place from which to be sent. And we come back here in order to encourage and prepare one another to go back out. 
It's always backwards for us. It's more about coming to church rather than going out to the world. But when we truly begin to go out to the world, then we will need and want the encouragement of brothers and sisters more than ever. And, and that's what Paul experiences. They found believers and they invited them to spend the week. They were encouraged and thanked God. Why do you think Paul calls a meeting with the Jews? Hasn't he about two times already said, man, I'm done with, I'm done with the Jews. And, but in, even in Rome, he goes to the Jews first. This is his pattern. He always preaches first the gospel to the Jews. But here one more time, he has a warning for the Jews. The, the last recorded words here that Paul speaks to the Jews in Rome are, are from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And, and what are the words to the Jews here? Man, he loves his people. He does. He says, I'd, I'd go to hell in their place if it, would, if it would mean that the Jews could be saved. But, but the truth is from the book of Isaiah, and it's simply, this is what you say to my people. You're going you're to listen and never, ever hear. You're going to see, but somehow never, ever perceive. And if you would soften your heart, you could turn and be healed, but, but you won't. I mean, that's... God crying out for his people who reject him. And so Paul just says, I just want you to know your hearts are hard and you're not going to turn to the Messiah. But, but the same salvation is being preached to the Gentiles and they will. They will. Last verse, last two verses. The next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. What's that mean? It's an interesting kind of imprisonment. We, we, we talk about Paul in chains and he was, but what did, what did this Roman imprisonment look like? It was more like home incarceration, to, to be honest. Paul's living at his own expense, which means he's probably renting a house. He, he's living probably in a house. Uh, so, and it says that people would come. People are free to come and visit him at his house. Now, he can't leave. It's kind of like, you know, home incarceration for us is like they put a bracelet on your, on your ankle. And so you can't leave the house. They'll know if you leave, you understand. But instead of a, a bracelet, which they didn't have, Paul just has a big, ugly soldier you know, strapped to his ankle. But it's the same thing. It's like home incarceration. Paul can't leave the house, but he's free to receive guests. And so all day long, day and night, people just keep flocking in to talk to Paul. And Paul just sits right there and preaches. And a new soldier comes in twice a day, and Paul just keeps on preaching. And this is what it says. The next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He, he welcomed all who visited him. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And New Living Translation says, and no one tried to stop him. But literally the Greek says, he, he preached the gospel with all freedom and without hindrance. Okay, I just said he can't leave the house. And he's got a guard chained to him. So how can we say he's preaching with all freedom and without hindrance? I would say being Kept in the house, chained to a guard, is kind of a hindrance. With all freedom, all freedom, he can't even go to the store. All freedom and without hindrance. How can you say that? Because of the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, freedom. Yeah. It sounds to me like he's just inwardly, there's nothing keeping him from speaking the truth. There's, 
circumstantially he's bound, but inwardly he's free. There is no hindrance. The thorn in his flesh, you know, that, that wasn't a problem. Whatever those things are that keep us from sharing inwardly, yeah. he didn't have those things. Yeah. Yeah, something about Paul's circumstances, they don't seem to affect him. Or they don't seem to affect the gospel. Maybe the truth here is that no matter what happens to Paul, you can put Paul in chains, but you cannot, you cannot hinder the gospel. You can maybe silence Paul, and they're going to. You know that, right? The story ends right here because probably this is as far as the story went for Luke. This is where they were when Luke writes. I mean, this is as far as it goes, but... Whether it was this time or the next time, they're going to kill Paul. They're going. They're going to. They're going to behead him. They will, one day, silence him. I said this morning that when it came to the gospel, silence was the one thing that Paul would never be silent. I mean, ultimately, they, they did silence him, but, but they didn't silence the gospel. You, you can put this man in chains, but you cannot hinder the, the gospel. There's this incredible freedom with the Holy Spirit, with, with, with the gospel. That's why Paul says, you know, my, my life is useless. This is nothing. In other words, it doesn't matter what, what you do to me. If it's good for the gospel, I'll, I'm going to run straight into it. Just a little thing, finishing the book of Acts. It says, Paul welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming what? Kingdom of God. Remember when the book of Acts begins, it begins on that Mount of Ascension, right before Jesus ascends, and the disciples ask Jesus a question. What do they say? Is, is this the time when you're going to yeah, restore your kingdom? Yeah, so the book of Acts begins with that question about the kingdom, and it ends with this bold proclamation of the kingdom of God with all freedom and without hindrance. This is the gospel that we preach. Any final words from anyone tonight about this message, about the entire uh, study together, about the future of our church? Brother Ken. Absolutely. Uh, to, to live as Christ and to die as gain, Paul says. Yeah, if you're not afraid to die, then you're not afraid of anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, they, they may have uh, thought they silenced him, but, you know, here we sit and uh, we're still reading words uh, from Paul. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. That's that's good. Jack, what were you gonna say? Yeah. 
Yeah. His focus was the gospel, and therefore he was as free as the gospel. Yeah. So, could our church ever have what Paul had? Could we ever be that focused on the gospel? 150 years, we may have had moments, but they were short-lived, let's be honest. Our focus is rarely this focused. Yeah. Uh, in the military, it's like you said, we go out and we come back here. That is what you do in the military. You go out on a mission, and then you come back to the rear and get rejuvenated, get rested up, and then you go right back on a mission. Right. When you've been deployed, it's a lot more important to you. Just like when she couldn't get into church, it's more important to you to get back with your people than it is to the people that have you back sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it meant more to him to be with Jews than it did uh, to the Jews that have been with him. But that's the people that you have raised when you've been out on mission. Yeah. When you live your life on mission, it means something altogether different to come back uh, to, to your people and be, be recharged. Yeah. I would say those who live on mission will never be bored in church. Will never be bored in church. Yeah. Yeah, Claude. Absolutely, yeah. We can't always see the results, but we just have to continue to be faithful. Yeah. The Lord will see to it that his word never returns void. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's continue to pray as a church. Let's continue to stretch out and uh, commit ourselves to, to doing what they did in the book of Acts that we can be used for the gospel in the way that they were used of the gospel. Um, s- several things to, to close up. Uh, from here, uh, I, w- I want to turn to several messages here that will deal with, I-, I guess, for lack of a better 
way to say it, just the least of these. Uh, reading the book of Acts, and as the staff were reading a book called Barefoot Church, uh, and if you want a good book right now, read Barefoot Church. That's what our staff is reading just together as a team. And Matt Betts is leading us through that extremely well. Uh, read Barefoot Church with us. And then through the next few weeks, I just want us to, to think about what it means to be called into a world to serve the least of these. Jesus says, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. So let's think about the least of these as we move through these next few weeks. The book is called Barefoot Church, if you want to sort of be, be with us where we are in reading. Also, I've, I've really enjoyed reading the book of Acts together. A number of you have been doing that devotion through the U version. So let's stick with that. Most of us are finishing that devotion, that 30-day devotion, either today or tomorrow, depending on where you started. So when you finish up that, I invite you to do a seven-day devotion with me by a pastor named Stephen Furtick, and it's really pretty awesome. It's called Unqualified, and it is, it is just really, really good study. So again, either just go to the version, look through the plans, and, and register yourself. Just, just click on the button and, and, and sign up to read through the next seven days, a devotion guide by Stephen Furtick called Unqualified or look for that link on my Facebook page or the church's Facebook page. You'll find that. I think it's good when we can read through these things together and let the Holy Spirit sort of speak to us uh, from the same direction. So if, if you're interested, if you don't have anything else to read in this coming week, read that with me and, and let's see how the Lord will speak to us together. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything? Yeah, Kathy. Yes. Mark Riggenbach is going, uh, he makes this annual pilgrimage to, to Peru where he grew up. Remember, Mark Riggenbach was a missionary kid. His father wrote a book about his missionary life entitled, And to the Next Cities, I believe is the name of it. It's fantastic. Mark Riggenbach grew up knowing persecution, knowing what it was to have bombs set out on your front porch, knowing what it is to fall asleep and, and have something thrown through your bedroom window. Mark talks about finding glass in his hair back when he had hair. Um, God bless him. He returns now uh, to the churches his father planted every year, and he preaches uh, as that son of the church planter who planted those churches. He is there now preaching. Uh, when will he be back? Friday morning. So let's pray for him. That is the most amazing thing ever, and I love that he is there. Thank you for reminding us of that. Let's pray for Mark Riggenbach this week, okay? Uh, let's pray. God, we just lift up Mark to you right now, Lord. Bless him. Lord, your word says how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those that bring good news. And on those mountains of Peru, Lord, I pray that you will give Mark Riggenbach the physical strength and the spiritual wisdom and understanding to be uh, your incredible man of the word, Lord, as he goes from church to church. Lord, he will be facing people that he once went to school with. He'll be facing people who once persecuted his father, Lord. He will now meet them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I pray that his time there will bring much fruit for the sake of the gospel and much encouragement to those churches there. Lord, bless Mark. Lord, bless Barbara and Jimmy as they face this coming week and all the days ahead. Lord, bless Carrie Basham as he buries his mother on Tuesday. And Lord, bless all of us as we leave this place sent out for the sake of the gospel. Lord, help us just simply to love the world the way you love the world, Lord, so that when we see people, our hearts will break and there will be nothing that could stop us from sharing with them this love that you have put in our hearts. Send us out, Lord, with power 
to go love the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. What a great Sunday. Have a